0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films, with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on Tap, we have Possessor, starring Andrea Riseborough, Christopher Abbott, Sean Bean, and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. Hmm, another Cronenberg. Imagine that. <laughs> but welcome back to Rice Mile Films. We are going to wrap up our Cronenberg cast. You know, we looked uh, the last two weeks of uh, films of Canadian filmmaker David Cronenberg. And up uh, today we have from this just last year, 2020 Possessor by his son, who I didn't know until the release of this movie. He had a son that was actually making movies. So we just watched it. I think we have a lot to talk about it. Like it's it's a pretty... It's a heady movie, it's intense, it's visceral, and I hope we get to discuss all of that in a blender, and we'll drink it, and maybe it'll taste like (laughs) Old Forester 1920.
0: Maybe. Hmm. Going back to the rocks this week to water it down a bit.
1: You know, for... It's growing a little bit. Yeah, we've been told by a few people that, you know, Prohibition style, this is like a bourbon that lets you know it is bourbon. Thank you, Daniel. But... uh, kind of like what we were just discussing off mic i I do prefer a little bit of flavor and notes you know much like like with food and anything you want to be able to kind of taste a little bit of what you're drinking and when it's so intense and so powerful it leaves something to be desired
0: i just (laughs) swallowed down the wrong pipe sorry yeah yeah i keep going back to week one you said brown sugar i do get that Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stay a little bit when I drink bourbon specifically, if it's well done, there are three levels to it. The initial, the medium, and the back end, mm-hmm. right? has to do with maybe the <clears throat> scent as it moves across the palate and such. Yeah. This has one flavor at the beginning that fades to just alcohol to yeah. me. Yeah. And so I can't sift through that enough to find the stuff that's in there. I'm sure it is for those that are a bit more refined. Mm-hmm. I'm not, yeah, refined. It's, it's, well, it's not. It's just I'm not tasting, tasting that, right? Do you e- think it's like there's that quick, like initially that scent of sugar, and then it's just heat, <laughs> and maybe that's the way it's you know meant to be, you know, tasted like that. It's yeah, interesting, maybe a quarter of a second, and then fire, yeah.
1: But maybe, maybe we'll be yearning for this drink. Oh gosh, here we next go next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll let the cat out of the bag at the end of the episode, but. We might be begging for some old Forrester Prohibition style, but let's go ahead and get this thing started with our flight question. Spooky, ominous, sci-fi
0: tones. Very apt score for the film we'll be talking about here in just a little bit. The name and that sound, that eerie sound, would lead one to think that we are going to go deep into horror. I don't think this is a horror movie.
1: I wouldn't label it as a horror movie, but it it certainly has some horrific aspects to it. Yeah. Uh, Let's go ahead and get started. Um, Our flight this week is going to be a little bit different, but it is something we are very excited to discuss, to announce. So... First things first, you know, for, for months, for years, I don't know, people have been asking for merchandise, whether that be T-shirts or stickers. You know, people like stickers. I, I, I get it. Uh, and, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff. Well, that finally happened this week through Rice Mile Films and T-Public, um, which is a great online, you know, merchandise type of store with all kinds of novelty
0: shirts. And you actually just bought a Unbreakable uh, David Dunn shirt from them perusing the website and just typed in unbreakable for fun and lo and behold the designs were remarkable
1: but what's really great is that you know they'll work alongside you know podcasts and you know that are grassroots podcasts and help them you know get a merchandise lineup so there's a lot of really great benefits but that's now available so if you go to tpublic.com the the we're not exactly popping up in the in the search yet. It takes about a week, but um, we have a link that we'll link in uh, our Instagram and then in on, on Facebook just so you can get the link. And people have already started ordering, and if you've ordered already, amen to you, cheers to
0: you. Uh, you guys rock, and I hope that you like the swag offerings out there. It's a big selection, everything from pillows to stickers, um, tote bags. It's all in there. You know what my favorite part of this is, or one of the, my favorite parts, I think it's awesome that we
1: have swag now and people can wear a rice Smile shirt. That just blows my mind. Yeah. Um, but is. they they work with a lot of independent uh, artists throughout the world. So, you know, it's so tailored to our show talking about film. So we could, you know, take a topic like a film like Possessor and link uh, artists commission shirt for that film that they've already made. And, you know, they get... They get the sale, they get more awareness, and, you know, we get a little something for, you know, showing that for them.
0: So what's really great about it is there are going to be, I think, five established Rice Smile logos on there. There's the banner that's on the podcast, and mm-hmm. then there's uh, a quote from each of us, and then another banner that you did that's a bit uh, more rectangular versus square. Mm-hmm. Those will always be up. Yeah. And then depending on the film of the week or the cast, what we'll also do is tailor another selection or two based upon that. And sure enough, the Possessor one is up this week, too. It's a pretty cool design. It sure is. I think that's just such an awesome way to highlight,
1: you know, artists just out there that we don't know about.
0: What's great about it is it's everything from your classic tee to ringers, baseball shirts. Mm -hmm. About the only thing, and I'm a little surprised they didn't have, but maybe it's coming, Mm -hmm. is a baseball hat. Oh, yeah. Or maybe uh, like a beanie? Yeah, maybe. Not yet. But everything else is there. And the way it's set up is there's an economic structure where both the licensee, us, and the licensor, public gets a cut. The prices are really reasonable for mm-hmm. T-shirts. Yeah. And uh, I would imagine in the not-too-distant future, we will probably have a code that you can put in that gets you a little bit of discounted merchandise. The thing is, it's so new. We're talking Wednesday night. Yeah. So it's still so new they're in the process of finishing all of the stuff on their end to get the entire site working by search engine through rice Smile but the link that Jesse is going to put in the notes for the film and on the podcast uh links yeah will take you directly to it. It's pretty cool, there's a lot of colors. Yeah. Well, there's pretty much every color. There's Jesse's I got to get going quote there's mine I was it was atrocious and then just a couple of rye proper banners um We're pretty excited about it. and That's one thing to be excited about. Part two. This one is big and I'm going to let you
1: swing away. Awesome. So, you know, Matt and I, you know, we meet every Saturday. We cut this show and, you know, we've been trying to think of ways to offer additional content, expand the reach of the podcast and, you know, offer stuff, you know, through a more premium kind of based experience. So, platform that offers that and a lot of podcasts take advantage of this is patreon you know it's a great space for you know small companies artists models you know whatever to kind of you know make some money doing what they what they love which is a great platform you know what i mean you don't have to be a small business to you know make money doing what you love um, which i think is very important so a lot of podcasts you know Offered tiered content for Patreon, and we are proud to announce that we, starting also on, uh, I think, when, or Wednesday or Thursday is when we, we put it together, um, that is now live. So if you go to patreon.com slash Films, here's what we will be offering. There's three tiers, and we've based it off of our little ratings here. So the call rating or the call tier is going to be just general support for the podcast. If you just want to help us, you know, keep churning along, you know, these bottles that we buy every week sometimes aren't cheap. And so, you know, that'll help us in the long run, you know, you know, so we don't go bankrupt paying for bourbon. Paying for our addiction. Exactly. <laughs> and just, you know, and just, you know, just general podcast type of fees and, and, and whatnot. And then um, you'll get, you'll get the obvious shout out because, uh, for yeah, for for two dollars, it's it's real simple, and you know we'll be forever grateful even at that level. But if you want a little more bang for your buck, and I think you do, we've found some unique ways to kind of open that up at the second tier called the single barrel, much like a lot of our whiskeys. And with this one, you'll get the same things, but you're gonna get an exclusive rye watch along audio track, kind of like a commentary. But I like to pitch it as imagine that you're just watching the movie along with Madden myself.
0: So we would cut that show. And then cue you all with three, two, one, hit play. And in whatever. I kind of want to
1: do a jazz thing. I want to do like a one, a two, a, a one, one, two, three, k- three boom, play. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: And so what will happen in real time then, per recording, will be our breakdown as we are viewing and as you're listening recording
1: it'll be a breakdown it'll be a little more riffy than the traditional episode but i think it'll be a blast i mean we'll tell you know cute get your drink ready get your popcorn and just pretend like you're watching the movie with us it's going to be a lot of fun
0: hopefully they're taking a drink out of the coffee mug that they ordered from Tea public oh there you go um that's going to be entirely different that's not at all what we do we have commentary when we watch and it's different yeah this will be that plus more mm-hmm uh, plenty of stopping, plenty of discussions. And I have a feeling that's going to tend to be a rather long episode. Yeah. Cause it's the length of the film plus and our commentary in the pauses.
1: And let's just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag just to kind of just generate excitement. Yeah. Uh, the first ride watch along that we decided to do, we're going to write a wrong of my, a wrong of Jesse, a Jesse wrong. Yeah. Uh, and get to relive a film that I've been dying to redo just because I was a nightmare when we, when we did it because I was sick we're gonna look at 1979's Alien is gonna be the first first Rye watch along, mm-hmm. so that's gonna be so much fun, man. I can't. I've just been like, I've been just dying to just do that, like right now. <laughs>
0: it needs to be done because that is not the best you've been. Yeah, and also I'll say this too. Mm-hmm. That was rather early on mm-hmm. in the development of the show. Come a long way since then. Yeah. Now we've come a long way, and we're starting <clears> with <throat> something in a brand new space, so it's a bit of a fresh start. Yeah. but not a fresh start. With a movie with two voices that work instead mm-hmm. of one and a half. Yeah. And a different way to sort of break it down. Absolutely. I can't wait till we get to the choking with the magazine bit because oh, I know you God. have a whole paper that you wrote on that. i <laughs> we'll see if
1: I can find the paper. I'll just read it to them. No, no, it'll be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. Yeah. Like you're going to laugh. You're going to be thought provoked. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And then also so that's tier two. So that's tier two. And also in tier two, uh, we're going to call this type of, episode offering the neat so it's just going to be not tied to rye regular on saturday but just an, an exclusive bonus episode that you can't get anywhere else we're going to come in you know no flight or nightcap we're just going to get right into the film get to the nitty-gritty and offer some big films that you're only going to be able to get on there
0: so at that single barrel level which is yeah five dollars five dollar price tag you're getting a watch along and another Saturday like show that we cut. You all get those on Sunday exclusive just to that. So Mm -hmm. what we're about to go through with possessor plus the watch along. Yeah. But
1: that's not all. Yeah. And let's let them know what the first film of that's going to be too. So you'll get one of those. Uh, You'll Mm -hmm. get a commentary per month and a bonus episode per per month. We try to go with something big to interest you. And it's a film that we have very differing opinions on. And it's a director we want to talk about again mank uh it's david fincher and the film's fight club from 1999 huge cult following film uh i think it is a film you either like it or you hate it um mm-hmm. there's not a lot of in between so that's gonna be the
0: first one i'm excited to talk about that it's one. gonna be a good talk yeah that's gonna be fun we maybe haven't been in the space in some time since tarantino yeah yeah exactly it's different yeah
1: Uh-oh. We'll, Uh-oh. We'll, we'll see how that goes uh and then the final tier the top shelf this is gonna be eight dollars Offering some more just exclusive content. And the big thing is something we're going to call on the rocks. Yeah. And Matt and I talk a lot of TV on and off the the show. And, you know, this is a film podcast, but I think we found a cool end to tie television into exactly what we're doing it covering you know new kind of culty you know geeky type of shows uh, of past present and future mm-hmm. uh, and then the first the first offering I mean Marvel's kind of killing it right now with WandaVision on Disney Plus so we're gonna follow that up right with Falcon and the Winter Soldier is gonna be the first offering mm-hmm. and so that'll be a weekly every Saturday morning you'll get the next breakdown of that week's episode so that's gonna be a lot of fun we've talked about you know how that can look with Stranger Things Cobra Kai marvel's offerings and even going back to some like older shows like matt i would love to do a breakdown of just not the whole show but maybe just the pilot of twin peaks with you could just be like a fun like one-off while we're waiting for a show to uh, go live
0: there's plenty of space i'd like to do because they're fairly short mm-hmm. i'd like to do season one of goliath mm-hmm. you've seen that the billy bob thornton lawyer one mm-hmm. we should do that yeah
1: so th- there's any number of ways we oh, can go about that. Oh, where do you stop that.
0: with TV, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's going to be a lot of fun and something I we, I know we've both been wanting to talk about. So that's at the top shelf. And then Matt had, Matt and I haven't discussed the frequency with this next event, but we're going to be offering, whether it's monthly, every other month, whatever, whatever. We'll figure it out, but exclusive Clubhouse uh, discussion. So for those of you unfamiliar with Clubhouse, it's an audio-like discussion uh, forum, almost kind of like a Zoom call where we'll get on and, you know, we'll have a topic of the day or a film to talk about and kind of just do it with the fans and almost kind of run it like a film class, you know, kind of get everyone's take, you know, chime in on your two cents and just have
0: fun with it is kind of the thing. Like just pretend you're in the room having doing a show with us. This could be everything from a scene to a short thirty-minute uh, episode. Possibly, for those of you that are familiar, this might be a place where we find a shot, mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. or topic that is open to the audience. But there would be some amount of attendance in the clubhouse live with us, only available in real time through Patreon, Patreon, and mm-hmm. the clubhouse at that uh, single top shelf tier. Mm-hmm. And that's $8. So that's a lot of new
1: exclusive content that you're only going to be able to get on that format. But what doesn't change at the end of the day is what we do and offer every Sunday, which is the ride proper episode. That'll continue on with, you know, leading up to new films, casks um, built around a lot of unique topics and seasonal things. And, you know, Patreon's going to be this whole different animal that's going to be just as fun. It's I can't wait to get, get down to it.
0: Jesse and I never thought at the beginning that it would go to this level. The Saturday right proper show, the one we're about to cut is the extent in the early days. Might I venture the demand is such that there seems to be a request in the market for more. (laughs) I would hope so. (laughs) If you go to the top shelf tier, depending on the month, Mm -hmm. there might be 15 pieces of content in there. Yeah. That includes the four right proper. That's four weeks in a month. So I'm assuming four of those per month Mm -hmm. with the Saturday show that's free. And then I think 11 is pretty easy to get to with the other stuff, depending on. Yeah,
1: four TV episodes and then your commentary, watch along, and then your bonus episode. Yeah, there's going to just be a lot of space to listen to. And it's all going to be different. I mean, what you have during the week will be different than what's being offered on the Patreon. And we're going to intentionally keep it that way.
0: So we're just trying to get as much content out there as we can and sate the demands that are not only from the desire for you and I to do more, but then to have more ears listening to the content that we put out.
1: And as we've said a lot this week, Matt and I really enjoy doing this. We we love getting in front of the mics and just kind of going. And before we know it, we look at the thing and it's an hour and 50 minutes have passed by. It's crazy how time goes by, but... To all the fans, to all the listeners that have followed us from the beginning, wherever you jumped on board, Matt and I are just internally grateful, uh, internally. No, that too. <laughs> That's a Freudian slip that it fits. <laughs> yeah, Freudian uh, with today's film. But we're just so gracious to, if you've downloaded one episode or all of them, wherever you fit along the Rye Smile film spectrum, and whether, you know, Patreon's going to fit fit your itch or if you just want to stay, you know, whatever floats your boat, we are forever grateful for, you know, just listening.
0: I could not have said that better myself, internally or externally. Cheers. Cheers, buddy.
1: Cheers to you. The Cheers, sh- Rye Nation. To this new venture, to Rye Nation. Um, that's great. It's going to be exciting. So uh, see those postings here coming up in the show notes uh, for those links and then on, on the socials. And we'll have links to that in the bios of our profiles on Instagram. One more to keeping on and staying strong. Excellent. Amen. Well, Matt, I'm excited. Let's get down to our review breakdown of Possessor.
2: Our next contract's almost finalized. And it's a big one. I can't have my star performer falling apart on me. I would like to take some time, though. Time for what? Well, I've been talking to Michael, and I told him that I'd take some time. Michael Isn't him you and Michael are separated
1: Okay so po- yeah so possessor starts out <clears throat> with Tasia Voss who's uh, Andrea Riseborough Who's taking control of this other woman's body. We, we don't know that here at the beginning, but we just kind of get to see this, the shreds of the technology at play and its implantation with needles into the back of their heads. And then we kind of see what they what actions they commit. And the first is the, like the killing of this. Like I imagine this like Italian crime guy or something like that. Feels like it. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. They gave her a gun to do the job. She decides to take a steak knife off of the dinner table and probably stabs him probably about 20 times. It's absolutely brutal. And then the only way to kind of get out of this thing, almost kind of like Inception or uh, other sci-fi films like that, you have to die or commit suicide to pull yourself out. The kick. (laughs) Yeah, the kick to get out of that person's consciousness. And then back in stasis, you wake up back in your regular body. Matt, this is entirely fascinating to me. I know when we discuss films or even when we sit down to write, we always like to think of like interesting professions that people do um, as their daily job and kind of throw that in with a science fiction twist. How is uh, Tasia Vasa's job like not just entirely intriguing? They boot up into the consciousness of their hits, their targets, and willingly enact their actions to get a job done. They're hitmen at the end of the day.
0: Mercenary services are interesting in film regardless, Mm -hmm. no matter how you present them. John Wick. Right. Yeah. Because what you get automatically with that is the forfeiture of any morality for the larger corporations that have employed you to do these dastardly deeds. Mm -hmm. That's loaded in and of itself. You don't really need a lot more than that if that's executed well from really well, like you said, John Wick, or sometimes poorly, but still in a high concept idea like the Star Chamber. Mm -hmm. So this takes the same idea, but add an element of Vanilla Sky or Total Recall or even to a certain extent, weyland Utani a little bit Mm -hmm. and add an abduction piece to this. And, And here's the thing. Tasha. Tos, tos, Tasia, Tasia, Tasia. Never heard. It's an interesting name. Is such an excellent choice because this is from from the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. a very vibrant, colorful film. Oh yeah. Except for her, pale, like a canvas. Yeah. Vampiric, mm-hmm. and it fits in the husk like. characterization that she's going to take in this film husks (laughs) because she's so nondescript as herself and we'll get into this later is beginning to lose herself in the process of going in and out of all of these other people's consciousnesses and they are all significantly more interesting oh yeah so let's start with the beginning this is give me one second yeah go ahead this is super on the nose yeah but the character that she takes over in the beginning mm-hmm. is an African-American woman, mm-hmm. which is obviously more colored than she is. Yeah. And then they put her in blue. A blue tracksuit. A very vibrant blue tracksuit. Those white shoes. That are elevator yeah. shoes too. Weird, strange mm-hmm. shoes. But mm-hmm. that compared to Tasia mm-hmm. is a much more interesting depiction of the character. And she... Here's what's crazy about this, Jesse. <clears throat> She's better in that space as the th- the thief yeah. of that character than she is in her own. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, she is so bad as herself, she has to relearn how to communicate with her family as herself.
2: Hi, darling. Hi, darling. Hi, darling. What, what have you got there? What have you got there? darling what have you got there God, uh, i'm absolutely starving i am absolutely starving michael michael i'm absolutely i'm absolutely starving
1: so what's interesting about this you know tasia looks like she's been doing this for decades she's so good at it she's the go-to hit for jennifer jason lee's character She's got to give her the top jobs, but she is having a bit of a problem reacclimating back to her regular self. I like that you use the word husk because literally later in the film, she is a husk, like a face uh, husk mask. But yeah, like I like the little tricks of the trade that they use to kind of bring you back to coherence. There's almost like this totem box of like relics from your past that you have to prove this is mine. This is my grandfather's pipe. I smell the, the smell of tobacco. It smells familiar to me. This is strange and familiar. So they, so they know you're back on your rocker. Um, and one of them is this butterfly that, you know, is going to come back at, at the end and we kind of see, you know, uh, a, a twist of, of sorts that, you know, she killed this butterfly, taxidermy butterfly, when she was a child, but always felt really guilty about doing the deed. And that's kind of been her crux: is she's so good at her job, and Jennifer Jason Lee would like to just offer her more. But Tasia has all these emotional attachments in her personal life: uh, ex lover, a child. Uh, if she could just put all that to bed, move past that, she could just move to this full time. And I think that says a lot about, you know, the workforce in general. Mm, no- well said. Yeah. Yes. Well, nothing you know irks me more when people. You know, it's unavoidable in some jobs. Maybe. I don't know.
0: No, you're right. It is. Where you're just
1: on your job 24-7. Yep. There's no turning it off. Yep. Where you're answering emails on vacation. Mm-hmm. You can't separate the work from your home life. Which sounds just awful to me because, you know, I love my just like out-of-work life. Hell, yes. Because it's time to just unwind have a glass of bourbon and whatnot. Right. To... Fully dive into this world twenty four seven. I can't blame Tasia for wanting a semblance of normality
0: outside of this crazy job that she has. Especially when she's recognized as really good at that, as the go to mercenary assassin from Jennifer Jason. What do we even know the name of this company ever? Uh, Are you gonna look it up?
1: Yeah, they, they they it was on the paper, but it's never spoken.
0: So whatever. Organization hires these or takes these requests from corporate uh, demands Mm -hmm. to assassinate rivals or business. It it does have a corporate feel to it that's espionage bordering on murder. Well, not even bordering; it's going to murder. It's what I like. Bordering about it.
1: It's what I like about a lot of science fiction when there's an evil company at the core of the story, whether that's OCP or you mentioned Wayland Utani. Uh, recall Recall. uh, company pulling the strings uh,
0: to their own devices. That's this company right here. As she comes out of this first assassination, there's a really key moment that happens. Okay, so go back to the opening five minutes of this movie when we see the first assassination that Jesse mentioned with that Mafia Don getting stabbed in the neck with uh, the knife. To get out, the kick is take the gun, shoot yourself in the mouth blow your head off, you get kicked back to reality. She's out of that consciousness and back to herself. And the evidence is dead. Right. It's, it's, she can't do it. Yep. You're going to ask yourself as the movie progresses, can she not do that because her life borrowing someone else's existence, someone else's existence, mm-hmm. is better than her own? Because the answer is irrefutably yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Think about that for a minute, Jesse. Mm-hmm. You are... More comfortable or more engaged borrowing someone else's body to murder someone than living a life with your family. Well, there's a scene that perfectly exemplifies that coming up with her, her lover, uh, Michael. you steal stealing my—well, th- we're doing this too often. You're taking my—yeah, go. Yeah, this, is just, this is just pure
1: evidence that Brandon Cronenberg watched dad's films at too
0: young of an age. <laughs> lots of violence and lots of body.
1: Because she has sex with her— I, I can't, like, it's, like, not even her husband or something. They're so estranged. Baby daddy, at yeah, least. Yeah, that's kind of weird. So so their guy had a really hairy ass, too. I noticed that. <laughs> so a lot of interesting nudity in this film as well. Yeah, uh, we'll, yeah. T- we'll talk about that. But, you know, they're having sex, and she's just so not into it. They kind of cut to her face, and she's looking off to the side. And the image that it interspliced with is the knife going into the Italian Don's neck. The only penetration she's thinking about mm-hmm. is, you know, violent penetration with the knife. So, oh my God, it's so
0: loaded. You hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. Penetration that is happening and she is completely uninvolved with it. Daydreaming about murdering someone in a penetrative state. Yeah, And then somehow that plays out in her portrayal of passion by looking at her lover's neck and then essentially attacking it with her mouth. Mm-hmm.
1: That's mm. really
0: weird, man. Yeah, And so you understand that this is a woman that's in a state of distress and is lost. And the question that I don't know if the movie answers until maybe the end, and I'm sure we'll get to this or maybe we won't, because yeah. I, I don't know if it's an answer or not. We'll have to talk through it.
1: Okay.
0: Where does she start and stop? Yeah, And I think we stopped... We stopped the film and talked about that, and I'd like to set this out now so that we can reference back as we continue the next hour or so. Yeah, A lot of this movie addresses the issue of forfeiture of oneself. Mm. Even when we see who's going to be the mark that's going to be the majority of the film that we spend as Tasha in his body, we see him in a state where he is doing many, many activities that give up the sovereign control of oneself. His job, literally, ladies and gentlemen, is to put on a pair of virtual reality glasses that allows him access to web cameras on people's houses so that he can voyeuristically endeavor into their house, but not to watch them, but to do data mining for consumer goods, everything from drapes to lampshades. Mm -hmm. His job is to steal people's data on consumer purchases yeah. as a voyeur for a large corporation. Yeah. That is completely yeah. giving up the sovereign isolation of oneself mm-hmm. for the larger corporation. And it's not even for interesting things except one point, and then I promise I'll let yeah, you have it. Go ahead. When we see him, okay, so now he has been possessed by Tasha. She is in him. She's taken over her, his con- his consciousness and his body. Yeah. We see him at day one on the job as her, as him. <laughs> He's looking at, oh my gosh, boring. And I think we've made the joke on here. There's nothing more boring in the world than drapes. Oh, yeah. We've made that joke. That's his job. Yeah. Is studying the color and the sheerness of drapes. Yeah. Well, he happens to end up in one couple's <laughs> bedroom. And this couple's about to get down. And this is what's crazy. So the Cronenberg's in full frontal, right? Oh, this, of course. This guy's fully hard. Yeah, already ugh, ready to give his gal 45 seconds of pure hell or whatever. His scrotum on the bed. Like, I, I and, saw so much nudity this morning. <laughs> so, her as him yeah. sees that, and all of a sudden, interest has peaked, and she lingers. He lingers. Mm-hmm. Co- Kobe, Cody, what's his name? Oh, my gosh. I'll look it up. No, but no, no, no. no, no. Colin, you, Colin Tate. Colin, as Colin Tate, he lingers a little too long watching this couple that is about to engage in sex and gets scolded by the upper-level management that is supervising supervising the data mining that he's taking too long, what's taking so long. And that's really interesting because Colin himself Mm -hmm. probably doesn't do that, but Tasha, Tasha, Tasia, as Colin, seems to be very interested in... The common act of sexuality, back to the point I was making, where does one start and stop with the sovereign idea of self? Sure, yeah. One of the most basic pieces of self mm-hmm. is procreation mm-hmm. at its base level. I don't know if those people are trying to make a baby, but that's that's the end result often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to be interested in that, watching someone else do it, but not interested in the same act when you're involved, Tasia is lost in where one begins and one ends. Maybe because she's gone through this road of taking over so many people, there's nothing left of her. Okay, I, that's me. Go. No, right, go. absolutely.
1: That is that's that's perfect. I mean, let's talk about the title of the film. The title of the film is called yeah. Possessor. Yeah. Which you know when I say possess Shin. Mm-hmm. You think of a film like The Exorcist or you know the yeah, exorcism right. of Emily Road the, really Con- the Conjuring Excellent yes it has a very Christian Catholicism you know connotation to it. So when you kind of look at possessor in this sense is just the verb it's the action, the taking over of oneself through this implantation it like you said this isn't a horror film it's more science fiction than anything. I think that's a really great title for this film. The taking over of oneself for employment. And that's what where great science fiction always kind of either goes to the left or to the right, and you either get too heady with it or you kind of go down the road of interesting concepts when they when they break it down into the mundanes of, you know, employment. It like life, you know, you know, relationships, then I'm interested. Then you were talking about films like Solaris and, you know, this one mm, mm-hmm. and just, uh, alien and RoboCop, you know, what it means to kind of play in a familiar space. Cause this isn't a futuristic world with flying cars. I mean, it's a fairly, now, it's a fairly normal world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't want to get too literary device heavy now, but possessor used in the context of the film equally well as verb and pronoun mm-hmm. is wildly interesting. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it does both of those effective on equal footing. It makes you wonder, is this then a character study of Tasia? Is this a statement about the corporate demands and what they do to the idea of self? Or is this a statement about what do you do in that position of taking control? Mm-hmm. All of those things are very interesting, and I think there is evidence in the movie that supports some space for each one of those. Yeah. So a lot of this movie has to do with sex, too. Mm-hmm. Fair? Lot, lots of sex scenes in this? <laughs> lots of sex scenes. <laughs> I, I, I'm asking everyone to just indulge the word here for a minute. Um, it's, an off, it's a semi-off-putting, but it fits in the same space that I think furthers the argument I made earlier with the act of procreation. Mm -hmm. When we take something that can be noun, I'm sorry, verb or pronoun, and in a Cronenberg world is used frequently, the word is fucker. Yeah, And there can be a lot of connotations with that as verb, Mm -hmm. (laughs) as pronoun, as adverb and adjective. Like that word fits a whole lot of literary. Seth Brundle was both last week. (laughs) Okay, right? Yeah.
1: So Marilyn you, Chambers
0: was both in that episode. Yeah. Okay. So if yeah. you take that idea and I could say that to you and we could be speaking about like in a very ugly braggadocio sort of way, God forbid. Yeah. I could also say that to you as a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. That person is a, that word. It's mm-hmm. probably not a good thing to say. It makes you wonder in the same space, how many more words can we apply to, in Cronenberg's control of this story that makes it feel as layered, and you said it earlier, Mm -hmm. heady Mm -hmm. as this is. From possessor to, excuse my language, everyone, fucker. Yeah. All of the, you you put your verb pronoun in this, and I bet you can find a case that it works in this context. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think we'd probably both be
1: in agreeance that it's a pretty good title for this film.
0: Great. T- and I was a little, that's sort of <clears throat> nondescript and feels like, mm-hmm. like you said, a possession film with demonic, but it's, but also not because mm-hmm. I don't want the demons point of view. That doesn't really, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Well, there's a sequence that takes place later when we get to it. It's kind of what I imagine the second shade of the exorcist would look like what Pazuzu looks like taking over Raven's body. When there's literally a scene where Tassio mounts uh Colin in the red space, it's we don't see that. It's the red's like the veil hidden behind the consciousness, mm-hmm. and that's what I imagine like possession looking like. Yeah. It's all there in front of you, but you don't see those parts of it. But we're playing in a sci-fi space. The one thing that I mentioned that we like, we would like interesting jobs. So this hit mercenary company that you know Tasia works for. You know they have to do all this research. They have to like mimic and observe voyeuristically observe. Okay, let's let's just let's play this and then talk about it.
2: Deals cocaine for a few years, and then falls in love and becomes engaged to one of his rich clients, Ava Pars.
1: This is the plot the of the daughter movie.
2: of John Parr, CEO Zithro. Zithro data mining largest operation outside the U.S. Head office is local. But our deal is with Reed Bars, John's stepson. And what's the narrative? Um, well, imagine Colin Tate as the unstable lover who feels diminished by his new family. Ava has all the power in the relationship. It's emasculated. He starts using more behavior, becoming more and more erratic. Ultimately, he breaks, killing John. Kills Ava, kills himself. With Ava out of the picture, Reed inherits everything. Becomes CEO, cry, cry, cry for the cameras. Clean tragedy, no one answered questions. Pay significant. Money and shares.
1: Okay. Well, I love that we're getting to money at the end of the day. I mean, just the consumerist aspect of willing to take this job. Mm-hmm. So real quickly, just to break that down, the stepson of this huge company that you know data mines and intrudes on people probably for their own profit to sell them more goods, Yeah, um, wants to take out his dad. He's contacted this company to do it through this guy named Colin. Take out dad, take out my sister. I am the sole inheritor of this company. And if you do this, I will give you some shares to our company. But what it gives them at, because what we're going to see in the following scene is the observation piece of looking in at people. She has to be in an apartment across the way from Colin and Ava, kind of seeing his mannerisms, how he's talking. And I love that scene where she's just kind of trying to mimic it. And what would it be like to try and mimic someone else, their pantameter, their way of speaking, but with a company that has access to the data mining infrastructure of Sean Bean's company, you wouldn't even have to do that. You have all that data right there at the forefront for you to take over that company. So there's a lot of like power interior exterior positioning to, you know, become better at your job
0: through this through this one hit. Watching Tasha grind through mm-hmm. the practice of that. Colin Fellow's pantameter mm-hmm. with, I think, I won't go so far as to say glee, but exuberance, yeah. compared to the same process she goes through to remember how to speak to her husband, I use that term loosely, and her son. You have an interesting corollary between work and home, but handled In this husk of a woman that is nondescript and colorless and essentially a canvas, a palette, a blank palette. Just she's alabaster. That's
1: exactly what she
0: is. It's totally true. She becomes a little bit more than chameleon because chameleons are not deadly. Mm -hmm. But this one is. I think she's really interesting because of the lack of color. And like I didn't even know when we first started. Yeah. I told you like. Three minutes, and this is a really vibrant film. Mm-hmm. Big reds, big blues, big greens. That that office where he works is this beautiful green <clears throat> architectural building structure oh, in Ontario. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Well, think about it. What you kind of mentioned when we're in the subject's world, which is the same world that she lives in. Uh, it's vibrant. It's beautiful. It's very well shot. It's very yellow and blues and reds. And then her home with Michael and Ira is just so past, like just Mm -hmm. so
0: gray Gray. and boring. Okay. You just, yeah. Yeah. I think we all want to work at a place where we feel like there's a difference we make. Mm -hmm. That's the color. I'd like to think that I'd have the same impact in the family, that my family has a color if your job is what gives you the color, but it's borrowed from Mm -hmm. that is the person who you possess. But as yourself at home, it's just grays and neutrals and earth tones. You have a woman Mm -hmm. who is playing in a very important and deadly game with her own sanity.
1: I'm going to say a word now, and it's going to take us in an entirely different path, but it's totally worth discussing because of the observation you made about the characters everyone's feeding into some sort of an ad- addiction. Mm-hmm. Tasia is addicted to her job.
0: Oh gosh, good. That's excellent. I mean,
1: she loves doing it so much because it sh- she lives vicariously through her subjects. Mm-hmm. Go. Yep. And I then when it. we finally get into the weeds with Colin and Ava, mm-hmm. these people are addicted, but to a different sort, to, uh, substances and, and abuse. And they're so lethargic through their scenes. And we're going to play a couple of them coming up here that, um, like you said, it, like, man, these guys, they need to go through some detox, like rehab clinic to get clean because they're addicted through their own worldly devices, much like Tassia's to living through her subjects. I find that fascinating. You yes, I do, too. Yeah, you can't do that in like just straight drama. I mean, like science
0: fiction offers a canvas to play in this type of space. I don't know if Brandon Cronenberg was smart enough to pen it as he wrote the script, or he just sometimes you get to it through some vision as you start to see the story unfold on celluloid. Yeah. But the idea of remaining sovereign over yourself is again brought up with all of these characters. If you are happier in a state that is induced by some stuff substance, then you have forfeited the sovereign right to yourself. You've abdicated the throne. And you're allowing whatever happens through the substance in a altered or less than coherent version of yourself to control you, whether it's the addiction of jo- of the job mm-hmm. or the substance or in Sean Bean's character, money. Mm-hmm. All of these people have given up their sovereign right to self yeah. for some other thing. And that to me, strangely, was the takeaway theme in this story. Yeah, why not? And... Boy, that is such a heady space to play in. In a movie that's already heady because we're talking about taking over someone's consciousness. Implantation. Some, yeah, yeah. It's already a little bit out there in that that world that's not grounded in the world we all live in. But then to ground it in, what does it mean to be self? For as much as I don't like Blade Runner. I I don't hate that film, okay? So I just don't love it. But what does work for me in that movie is mm-hmm. Rutger Hauer's more human than human speech. <clears throat> yeah. That's the crux of the film, and that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. This movie, in a strange way, might I venture, mm-hmm. presents to me a more interesting aspect of that because we see it more than just synthesoid or Robot. We see it in all of the different ways that these poor people were so willing and eager to give up the role of sovereign ruler of self. It does it a whole lot cleaner. It's really, it
1: presents it in a few different facets compared to something like Blade Runner. It'll be an episode for another day, but no, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, But part of the interest to me is like, you're presented with a concept like this. And then I do think of films like total recall where man, to just go live a vacation as a secret agent, like that could be cool. Like to get out of your kind of regular mundane self and go live it up for a week. And, this is the part that interests me, so figure that out on a psychological Freudian level to role play as Colin but as Tasia is what she's trying to do.
0: Mm. Gonna get a flight until late. Barely slept.
2: How was the trip? It
0: was thrilling. Through Maddox demo the new software. Played a vital team building game. How's the rest of your rotation?
1: Today, he's already slipping up. Mm -hmm. What do you
2: mean? What do you mean? I don't know. You've gone strange on me.
1: So now we're dealing with like almost like the concept that is so good in a film like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. Like I'm recognizing the pod version of the person that I'm so aware of someone's living vicariously through them I like this like but in like a scenario aspect I'd be like could I pull it off could I could I sell this because it's a performance it's like an acting performance uh, to see if you can get through so you can accomplish the job at the end of the day Tassi is addicted to that I could totally see how that could happen mm-hmm. it sounds fun at the end of the day I mean and then when you get to this inevitable kind of sex scene between these two characters I mean why not live vicariously in this aspect too? I mean, it's part of the job. In order to sell that, you have to, you know, seal the deal. And then there's that 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 shot. It's like it's Tasia's body, but then she has his apparatus. Yeah. Uh, like, what is going on here? I mean, the, the, we're, I don't want to say body whore, but we are talking about the the bastardization of the body with how it's kind of you know being used in this regard, and the unwilling participant that doesn't know what the hell's going
0: on is Ava in this, in this scenario. Strange. I don't know if this is mastery from Tasha's part or if this is reluctance or regret on Tasha's part, Tasha's part. Yeah. If she is such a good chameleon that she's able to take his state of arousal and internalize that to then enjoy it herself, then we have more evidence that Tasha is excellent as the chameleon that can be whatever consciousness and person she takes over. Yeah. If it's not that, then it's just sallow, sorry, regret. I'm going to probably argue that's the case Mm -hmm. only because when we've seen her in a sexual state with her husband, you quotes on what that guy, yeah, Michael, she's not at all interested. Maybe it's him. Maybe, maybe she's just not into him. We'll just talk about the lighting in both sequences too. Okay, so the reds and the blues. There's lots of reds and blues. You brought it up, so I'll let you run with the blues and the reds on this. Go ahead. Well, the sex scene at the beginning, it's with like a little night lamp. It's,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. it's amber, it's monotone. It's kind of almost colorless. Sleepy. And very shadowy. Mm -hmm. And then this one is this vibrant blue light that I don't even know where this blue light's coming from, Mm -hmm. but it is more, it's cold. It's more alive and it's more visceral than the last encounter, which is really fascinating to me. Like I said, he he went to school on what dad was really good at and found ways to plug that in throughout this story to like really make us question, you know, yeah, what is Tasa? She totally lives for this job, for these experiences. Yeah, she's going to live them up. But then where the crux comes in is this kind of in and out that both characters are doing. Colin's awareness to something weird going on, Tasha's awareness to her possession
0: her personal life with her child and lover. Between Tasia's possession of Colin and Colin's attempts to reclaim himself, <clears throat> there is a struggle that happens on some surreal plane between the two of them. And what we will get is a little bit of Tasia fading in as him, in, (laughs) I I don't even know what you would say it, in, on a cerebral level. And then a battle that ensues as the two of them jockey for position as who is the ultimate ruler over Colin. In this moment where Colin is with, with Ava, Tasia's consciousness takes over and she looks down at herself as him and sees her own body with his erect penis. Mm-hmm. This is important because earlier in the film, when Tassia first takes over Colin, there's another full frontal piece where she pulls, uh, pulls his pant, his waistband away from his waist and checks to see what she's working with, I guess, and seems to be mm-hmm. pretty enamored with it. Yeah. Because it's not just to look and then put my pants back up. It's like pull my pants down and look around in here and grip it. And Mm -hmm. she seems interested. Okay. But but that in and of itself is just sort of an interesting and odd moment and very Cronenberg and they're good at that space. They like their full frontal male. But when he's with Ava or she's with Ava, they're with Ava. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ava's in a threesome and she doesn't even know it. No, like, yeah, that's weird, too. <laughs> like, that is, yeah. that's
1: something, like, just visually, like, what that looks like.
0: It's sort of gruesome and grotesque, but in Tasha, Tasha's, that name, well, I'm just going to call her Tasha, it's Okay, her T. Okay, yeah, go ahead. In T's, na- in T's recollection of that, assessment of that, it's strangely erotic and beautiful from her POV. Mm-hmm. But again, it's admitting the forfeiture of her female genitalia yeah. for control of his to finally find. Here's the word, maybe. Yeah, joy. Sure, absolutely. She's joyless. Yeah, but not in that moment. No, absolutely not. She's all
1: in, literally. Well, we forgot to we forgot to mention. I mean, you know, there's a lot of scenes in this in this film, but there's I, th- I think something visually striking that takes place. So once they abduct Colin and put the implant in him, so Tassi can go in as him. There's this real, almost surreal David Lynchian like dream sequence. I would imagine that is the melting down of Tasia's body into mm-hmm. Colin's body. Visually, it looks incredible. Yeah, it's really well it's done. like wax. Yeah, uh, but that's not that didn't really happen. It's just the visual element to break down for the audience. We're re- literally melting down the husk of this woman to create the visage of someone else. Death and rebirth,
0: essentially. Exactly.
1: I, I think that's that's a really striking image for for the audience to go through, even though in the context of the story, we don't that visually
0: doesn't happen. You know what's weird about that? I'm gonna let you keep going. Mm-hmm. It happened a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that they melted her down once and did it and had to do it again? Mm-hmm. It's almost like it didn't quite take. Like maybe she's getting worn out. Well, halfway through, like they even like
1: kind of like molded faces. They were like attached. Yeah, and they were just like this, like the resistance to like spread apart. But this all comes to a head, you know, the end goal of this hit is you take out the head of this company, kill kill Ava, and, you know, kill yourself. And then you get the shares, you get the money, and you can uh, survive. Um, But Sean Bean, I I love Sean Bean. He's one of my favorite just, like, character villain. He's always playing a bad guy of sorts most times. Mm -hmm. And he's always dying in every film that he's in, like, whether it's Game of Thrones or GoldenEye or Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, I got to tell you this, Matt. Sean Bean, I would love to sit and have. He might actually like this uh, bourbon that we're drinking. <laughs> I think it was when they were filming Game of Thrones and they were in uh, Scotland or don't England. So don't quote me on that. He got in like a bar fight with a guy. This other guy stabbed him, uh, and so after like Sean Bean like beat him and had to like go to the hospital to like attend to like his stab like wow lacerations. He went back to the bar to go have more
0: drinks. <laughs> My gosh, he's a trooper. Like I want to, I want to have a drink with that guy. Let's set up a dinner mm-hmm. drinking party with Sean Bean and Sam Peckinpah, and we can be in attendance. Wouldn't goodness, that be fun? Goodness gracious. Yeah.
1: But there's a scene at his dinner party that is just so visually or just like dialogue striking to me, and it's this one right here. <laughs> we were just
2: discussing the psychology of failing as a parent. You start to embrace it, I think, when you realize there's nothing else you can do. Mr. Boyko also has daughters. Alex,
0: Colin.
2: <clears throat> Colin works for me now. Oh? Yes, I uh, I found him a job that hopefully isn't beyond his skill set. Mm. Managing to keep your head above water, Colin. I'm
0: fine. Thanks.
2: Good, good. You let me know if uh, it
1: gets too difficult for you. Okay. Awkward silence. <laughs> and then he gives a head nod to get out of here. Beat it. This is like such a way to just like throw a middle finger to Colin saying, I don't like that you're dating my daughter. I don't like that I had to kind of like throw you just this job so you could like have some sense of living because he's like a coke addict, like outside of this, this whole thing. It's brutal. So now he has all the ammunition in this job, not him, but Tasia does to like, I'm okay. I'm going to make a scene of it. Uh, so when he goes back to him man he like he lets him have it he like insults his daughter and he like blows up like it's like with the monotone lethargic calling we've seen is gone in this instance like he just flips out on on Sean beans You're gonna
0: territory. step on me I'm a giant yeah. I'm a giant he's mm-hmm. getting hauled out of the dinner party because he has mm-hmm. as Tassia taken the orders from the corporation to have a fight with Sean Bean. Yeah.
1: I told you this would be the fun part of the job for yeah. me. Like this is no consequence on my part because I, I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. I'm just living through him. So like acting and doing this, this
0: this is appealing to me. Again, it's an expression of some emotion that Tasia never does as Tasia. Mm-hmm. Like, just sort of nondescript saying what she needs to say to her family in a pretend state of interest. And parental guidance, but the line that Sean Bean gives Tasia as Colin when he first walks up, discussing the philosophy as failing as a parent, Mm -hmm. and that's got to hit really close to home as well. Mm -hmm. Because if he's a failure, and look at what he's left Ava and everyone with, what does that make her? Yeah, At least he's present. He might be drunk and an asshole, but he's present. She's not even there. Yeah. So that's... (laughs) He may be he may be an asshole, yeah. but he's a genuine asshole. She's a husk pretender. A husk
1: pretender, okay.
0: Twice removed. Hashtag, you know what I mean? Hashtag husk pretender. She's a husk at her best state, and then most of the time she's pretending to get back to just reasonable husk. It's if he's a failure, she's an even worse failure, mm-hmm. which then leads some credence to maybe why it's easy for her to hate him as Colin so much, because maybe she's not acting. Sure. Okay. Because he is, good. he is hateable. Yeah. I love that line. You think you can step on me? I'm a giant. Yeah. Perfect. And it's
1: fiery. It's passionate. I mean, it's, it's the passion that I think Tasia's like looks for. I mean, she mm-hmm. gets off on this type of aspect of the job. Okay, We got to talk about okay. So, in the very following scene, is going to be like, I got to take this guy out. Uh, oh, goodness gracious. Uh, yeah. he picks a fire poker as his weapon of choice, sets the gun down, and they're just both the daughter and him are just obliterated on JMB Scotch, which would probably make me puke. Yes. Uh, after a bit, <laughs> after not, obliterated, exactly. after not even like a swipe of fisticuffs, mm. Colin swipes him with through the neck with the fire poker and then beats him senseless with the fire poker before shoving it into his mouth before then gouging his eye out. I mean, Matt, you're not, you're like, you're vocal when we talk about movies, but like during like Destiny's, yeah, like there's stuff that'll rattle us. Like there was like three times when you and I were both like, oh my God, like Mm -hmm. this is just like, it's so gruesome. It's, it's indulging in the violence, which is something that Pa Cronenberg was so good at. And, Directors like uh, like uh, Brian De Palma and Quentin Tarantino, and so while this might turn a lot of people off, I think I'm like I'm fully in it in the context of this film because it's really selling what Tassi is all about. She's into the sex, she's into the violence. Like there's that line that Jennifer Jason Leigh gives her. She says that in the beginning of the first hit, she says, "We gave you a gun. Why'd you go for the steak knife? The gun's not enough anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's got to be visceral, intense." Uh, Weapons and art and artifacts, and that's why she picked a fire poker of all things. You gotta watch, and you watch watch this movie
0: and see this scene. It's so vile. It really is. <laughs> it's hard to watch. Yeah.
1: There's the Rob Zombie effect that I've talked about sometimes. Where like in those Halloween remakes he did, where like uh, Octavia Spencer, God bless her heart, but mm. like he st- Meyer stabs her like twenty times, and it's just so uncomfortable and disgusting. Whereas this is almost kind of like the same thing, but within the context of what this story is trying to accomplish, it makes more sense, the repetition and the brutality of it all. So I'm willing to go with it here, but not that way, because that turns me off. This
0: intrigues me more. Uh, someone needs to do a psychoanalyst on me. I'm all over the <laughs> No, you're right. It's interesting because professional assassins in film are always efficient. Mm-hmm. It's one quick <laughs> shot to the head and then move on because there's something else you need to accomplish. Yeah, As she tells Jennifer Jason Lee that's not enough anymore, and that's why I tend to stab the Mafia Don in the neck with this little steak knife or beat Sean Bean to oblivion with this fire poker. And he lives. <laughs> and he lives. <laughs> or it, the hacking and hacking and hacking that goes one there's joy that Tasia is finding that no longer is efficient, but celebratory. And it's almost in a weird way, this manic artist creating the canvas that will never be herself because she's devoid of color because every one of these deaths, Jesse leaves a smattering, a spray, a miasma of blood in a very If you didn't know it was blood, it would just be really pretty. Red hue that envelops all of the space on the screen and ultimately Mm -hmm. covers her as Colin as well. She's finding color. She doesn't care to be efficient. She wants to find some way to fill the void that is, frankly, Ryanation herself. In the mirror, she is such a husk, there's not even a reflection. That's good. Yeah, that's... uh, Because then...
1: Okay, we got to talk about this aspect now because there's this whole, and then you and I like. like
0: well, I'm going to forget this if I don't say it. I, I, no, go ahead. What has to happen, and I'm going to ask Ryan Nation for help on this. When you go through and watch this film, I want people to pay attention to where in the story, because we would have to watch this again to do it. Yeah, Where the red shows up in the actions that Tassia is engaged in versus where the blue shows up. And the actions that Tasia is engaged in because there's also that projection of the image with Jennifer Jason Lee yeah. where they're covered in the red um, on the projector screen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. I just, Oh yeah. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Okay. I stole what you're going to say. Sorry. I cut you off. Go. Well, this is what you're going to get when you do the
1: right watch along episodes with us because there's this whole weird kind of like third element into the story where Colin has had a prior relationship with ava's friend, friend like yeah. they were together and now they're like good and now they can be friends but you can like come over to my house like yeah. strange so after this beating she a- say
0: ava's okay with it yeah yeah i'm pretty sure ava's not okay with yeah, exactly that, yeah. Yeah. okay very
1: strange kind of relationship here but after sean bean's beating by fire poker and ava's killed uh by gunshot uh he takes a shark. he can't kill himself again like you said she can't pull the trigger so he's she's stuck in stasis stabs the implant with a shard of glass. So now we reach, an, I think, an interesting point in the movie where we've damaged the implant. She's stuck in him. Colin is becoming aware of what's taken place and what he's done in his actions. So his next act, he doesn't know where to go. I killed her. I did this. People are like, I'm a suspect maybe. He goes to this girl's house. Can I stay here for a few days? And, it's weird. and then and this that kiss that she plants on him, and it's like... That's not a friendly kiss. You know what I mean? There's like feelings there. Oh, yeah. So whatever happened in there is intriguing me. And that, that's not even the plot of the movie, which is interesting to me.
0: I'm going to ask you something. You okay. brought, you just put a bug in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally in this film. Mm-hmm. When Tasia chooses not to blow Colin's head off mm-hmm. and instead chooses to take the shard of glass and stab the apparatus that's in his head that allows her access is that to break that so she can't get out maybe yeah is that to trap herself in there permanently yeah sure yeah that's pretty good
1: so the only way to get out would be to kill yourself or die
0: because what you what really made me think of that is what you just said i didn't even consider this till you said it about Ava's friend that Colin is having this about to re affair with. Mm -hmm. Does Tassia, as Colin, kill her in the shower because she is worried that that woman will have a larger influence over Colin than Tassia does? Is it just straight up female jealousy? It could be. Actually, it could be. Yeah. Wow. We're in a really interesting space right now.
1: And like, I want to say too, I mean, the film's not like, again, there's not flying cars and there ain't like robots in this movie. It's like, it's a science fiction movie that's delving into, into body horror. It it really is body horror at the end of the day. I mean, this person Tasia has taken over to this person's self. So now they're fighting for position on who gets to be at the forefront I love this scene that's coming up, and I have a clip for it, because it's the total recall scene. This is the guy from Recall that goes and says, Mr. Quaid, I'm here to, uh, I'm here to pull you out. You're, you're a schizoenembolism. You call this an anembolism?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Give the people the air, Kohagin.
1: But it also it speaks to my like of this film, because it talks about the employment aspect of this company. There's plants all over the place that are going to help you out if you, if you struggle.
0: I've heard a lot about you, the great Tasya Voss. It's a real honor. I was a huge fan of the Elio Massa stabbing.
2: Eddie?
0: In the head. I can't seem to pull the trigger. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm a Christian. Besides, Curtis has that, asked... Well, that's an interesting line, alignment. too. That's, that's interesting. Something public, no questions. Look, I, I'm, I'm just here to fix your head. It's just that I don't have complete control right now.
1: That's why I'm here.
0: Come
1: on. That's almost an oxymoron. What the fuck is Christian about taking over some— working for a company that takes over someone's identity?
0: Right. I guess if you believe that this movie is a statement on the sovereign right of self, then giving your morality over to a supernatural higher power, thus in this case God or Jesus, because he's a Christian— is further evidence of that same idea. He has also abdicated the throne for a larger, higher power. Is that really that genius, or are we trying too hard now?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I wanna, I wanna maybe give some credit to Cronenberg for kind of coming. That's almost that almost line is almost comedic. It's almost borderline comedic. It is because that's uh, preposterous to say that at this point. But when you break down like the word we said, verb, pronoun, possessor the Catholic mm-hmm. aspect of what possession is in the regard that we're familiar with it in, in horror films. That's fascinating to me. There's a moral kind of crux with that particular character that I can't kill you because I'm a Christian, but I'm okay with this operation that
0: we're going about in, uh, spying voyeuristic elements. <laughs> yeah. So wait, Christians have to draw the line somewhere, Jesse. I think that's interesting. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, to, to Brandon Cronenberg, to this, this whole cast,
1: I mean, has really kind of made us think and dissect these films at a very intricate levels. Uh, they're just pinpointed. I think they're like in a very unique space with their craft right now. I think they really know the story they want to tell and then visually whether they looked into it or whether that's on the page, I don't know. But it's making us talk about a lot of things that are either there or not there. And that's the beauty of science fiction sometimes is it's there. If you want to dissect it and it's not, if, if you don't.
0: Sometimes when movies try to be too heady, it takes multiple watches to get to any kind of breakdown. Mm-hmm. You and I are having this breakdown after one, three collective watches as a whole. Yeah. There's an art to that. You don't want to make the movie so smart that it becomes <laughs> a dissertation that takes five years to write as your PhD and some upper level film study. You
1: don't want it to turn into a Terrence Malick film. And I like his Perfect. Mo- and I Perfect. and I like his, I, li- I like his movies, but like yeah, that's just like that's just like not for everybody. Like I was really worried cuz I had seen this film a couple times and my rating's going to maybe be interesting now that we've had
0: this discussion. I don't know how it can't be where probably my-
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. But like I was kind of lukewarm on the, on the, on this thing and then just kind of like seeing it again, recording the sounds, talking about it with you it's in a space that is heady, but it, it's not turning me off. And that's what I was worried about with you is because, you know, with whether that be, uh, you know, something like like Blade Runner or, you know, something that just or 2001 A Space Odyssey that just gets too full of itself where you lose the audience. And I don't think this film reaches those the, that capacity because we still stay grounded with
0: these characters. That's a personal failure of me. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna, I take when a, when a director gets super heady, yeah, then I take it as a challenge, and yeah, ego, hubris, I'll admit it, I guess, sure, Ugh. um, kicks in, and I start to go, okay, well, if you're so smart, Mister Smart Guy, then what about this? Mm-hmm. Haven't done that yet, have we? We've actually said, are we maybe so genius we didn't even realize it because this subtle mm-hmm. is really really well done in this movie. Yeah, it's working for me. If you want to be, maybe this is the takeaway on heady. If you want to be heady, you have to give me enough space to think about it in so far that I can be heady with you. Mm -hmm. Because if you make a heady movie, I think you're trying to involve the audience in the process of story. Is that fair? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So then you want them to respond to something that you're doing. Preachy versus welcoming. I don't know if there's a better way. That's such a layman's way of stating it. But I think that's where I'm going. And this is welcoming, not red carpet because, well, maybe it, or, or blue carpet. You guys figured it out once you maybe were watching, it, it might be blue carpet. <laughs> so then something, in, so this is the aspect I was talking about earlier,
1: the whole possessor possession element when he's trying to recalibrate the implant for Colin as Tassia. You know, he's talking to You're great. You're a legend. I loved your work and this and that. And while he's doing the implant, we cut to red again, the red color and we see Tassia come into the room, and Tassia, or no, 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 we see Colin come into the room, is on the bed, but when we go to regular color, Colin's on the bed, and then Colin comes in and gets on top of her, and chokes her out, I mean, they're yeah. th- they're having a, a battle in the conscience right now, which would make me gag, probably in any other film, but I want to talk about this element too, because we've talked about the husk, the, the, the shade of your former self, he literally grabs her face, crunches it in, pulls her face off, and puts it on himself. Now, what's that all about? Because that's something that's not there in the present. This is something happening within themselves.
0: This is so loaded. The facial mask that is Tasia fits like a potato sack. It's sloppy and loose and worn out and weathered it looks like that robot that the kid had at the beginning exactly like the robot that the kid had at the beginning that's you said that you Mm -hmm. nailed it yeah it's making a statement in a creepy way because that's it's creepy to look at and it's her skin it's on the poster i mean that was the image that you take away from this film tasia is well past worn out that that face they're fighting over and the possession, which is a metaphor for the possession of who's sovereign over Brandon had Collins' identity,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is worn out because it's been used so much. It's like almost like it has like, like, like it's it has
1: like a disability. Like the face is sagging, like when he reaches up to it and the mouth's hanging open, but you see his lips through it. Vacuous orifice. That's grotesque. And then they yeah. they cut back to that emotionless sex scene that I talked about earlier and it's, he's got this like craggy face like well,
0: that's weird because that scene is her initially but it's her as him with her face on him and what about the scene when he, she goes up to the child too and he's just like like lurching over like that's it's kind of creepy we're lost in who's who and what's what because she is lost in who's who and what's what and I think we're supposed to be lost yes, Yeah, exactly I think
1: that's the purpose of the, the film and the filmmaker Brandon Cronenberg is to I don't think we're supposed to know who's in control and who's not in control. We're kind of taking this journey with both of these characters and who's going to snap first. So we get to finally our climax of the film where, you know, Collins reached some sort of anterior position on, um, on Tasia, where he's like, you, okay, you have these memories, you have this place, you have a family, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to make you commit and tell me what did you do to me and th- that scene in the alleyway is kind of creepy too. I mean, mm. Ira, Jesus, stranger danger. I mean, get this guy's asking all these weird questions <laughs> and you're just telling him everything. But then he finds out that this kid lives here, that this is the child of Tasia, the person in his head. So when he goes in there later that night and holds him at gunpoint, okay, we got to talk about this scene too, where she emerges from the visage of his consciousness where they... Almost half, like, I thought she was going to kiss him, too. Like, that would have been crazy. Um, But they're talking in in that, like, weird filter. And I I just want to call that the in-between. They're in in between states right now. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, like, you got to tell me what you did to me or I'm going to kill Michael. But for Tasia, this is almost a release. She's been looking for this the entire film. Kill him. Because if you kill him, I am released of all personal obligations to familial ties. And I can do this job 24-7.
0: <laughs> I have stated at nauseum, you can't kill the kid in film. Oh, God, uh, yes. <laughs> and when the kid showed up, I thought, oh, my gosh, he just did it. This has to be, I'm begging. <laughs> I'm begging for a dream sequence because you can't do that because it is off-putting. It's not. We find out. That Jennifer Jason Lee has taken over possession of Tassia's son. I don't even know what his name is. Ira. Desney, Ira, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ira has taken over possession of Ira to do in Colin so that she can come back. Reclaim her prized possession, Tassia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. This corporation is wickedly evil. Before you play some sound, I have a question for yeah, you. Go, no. This is going to go back two steps though. Mm-hmm. Reed Miller. Uh, Jeremy Strong plays the, I don't know what you'd call it, the... The recall guy? N- no, in Serenity. Hold on. Don't, don't, don't jump off a period. yet. <laughs> what? The, the voice of reason in Serenity. Remember that as the point? Oh, the video game guy? Yeah. <laughs> so wait, hold on. That character, I would argue <laughs> Maul and in, in Inception. I would argue Noah Taylor yeah. in Vanilla Sky. Yeah. And this guy in this film who played whatever that guy's name that was the Christian yeah, are really important pieces to movies that explain the vast gap between reality and consciousness and how that plays out in all four of those films. That's good. I can't it just serenity just makes me. I, I, I knew I was going to lose. <laughs> I probably should have used that fourth because I lost you when I said serenity. Maybe that should be a ride watch along. Yeah. Maybe that'd be a good one. We do. We just go back in there
1: again and just be like with the prior knowledge of what that film is. Could be wild for us. I just
0: gave you four characters. Yeah, and the total, I, the total recall guy too. Okay, so put five in there. Mm-hmm. Rank them. Yep. Who's the best and who? Well, we know who the worst is. But give me, <laughs> give, give me, give me the five. Rank them in, in order of in context of the film and how successful they are. Well, Serenity's last. I think Maul might be first. Uh, this guy might be second. Mm-hmm. I forgot about the other ones. Noah Taylor yeah, and then the recall guy. Yeah, yeah. Mo- Noah Taylor and then recall that three and four right there. I think I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty high praise because for everybody out there, Inception is Jesse's top 10 of all time. Well, it made your top de- the decade list as well. It was number two for Love me. It. Love it. Oh, yeah. And Maren Cotillard is brilliant as Maul in that movie for what the name, speaking of name as pronoun and verb as well. And
1: she's kind of femme fatale too. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's soon, right? Mm-hmm, soon. Mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting that this movie by Brandon Cronenberg, who's essentially a no name and not really, but he is. This is mm-hmm. not David Fincher or Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Man, locked that. That's a tough role to write. You, you know what I liked about Killed that? It. You Killed know it. that?
1: You know, absolutely. You know what I liked about that, too, is the kind of the technology that he brought into it was almost like borderline, like, unfunctional. The wires were exposed. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, the 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 dials looked old. Like, yeah. they're not even working with the best set of equipment. So you yeah, were
0: at a place and I, I walked us back like 40 minutes in the film. I'm sorry. So let's jump ahead to where you left it off. Well, no, was. yeah,
1: we're at the point where, yeah, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's taken form of Ira to pull me out. I, I got to go in there and do it myself. And you said the rule, you can't kill the kid. And the kid takes like five bullets. I I couldn't remember if the, the blood. So Colin stumbles over and it's Colin mom. Colin, and then they, they cut to, and it's her doing the shooting at the kid too. I got to erase this part of my life to do this job more effectively. Uh. And so they're laying there on the floor, like bleeding out the two of them. And I I would try to think I was, I was like, I was like, I was like, that seems almost like a missed opportunity if the bloods didn't touch, but they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. It's like the molding of like gene cells now, like, like together, like these two different bodies. And what happens is, we cut back to the the implant clinic, and Jennifer Jason Lee's woken up from Ira's consciousness, and then finally she gets out of Collins, and it's just another another day at the office type of mentality. You know what I mean? Like, we did it. It's fine. Like, you got rid of this. Collins dead. Sean Bean's brain damaged in a clinic. He's given—we we, we got our goals. And then we go back to the totem scene. And like you said, like, did she say something different? And she, in fact, did. So we're going over grandfather's pipe. And then she pulls out the butterfly
0: um, replicant moment. Exactly. The replicant test. <clears throat> we got to prove
1: water. if you're solid on solid ground again, just like skydiving. Like you got to get your legs back. And she's talking about the butterfly and how we mentioned before there was remorse and, you know, sadness in what she did as a child to this butterfly. And in this instance, there isn't. And there's almost like a wry smile that hits uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh's face that says, "Yes, I got her." Like now we can go do work. And then the film ends. Like it's just it leaves so much to like be thought about after the fact. But all I can say is, what a wild ride to just get to that.
0: I loved what you said about the blood. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe the blood shouldn't come together. Like they come together and realize this is all one. Large spectrum of consciousness that we're all part of and it works. That works. I have no problem with the blood meeting and we get this conjoining of all of these things. But if it doesn't, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, that happens when Jennifer Jason Lee wakes up and we realize she's been in the role of Ira, they're both finished and they wake up prone looking at each other in a semi euphoric state. It's post-coital. And I think you can make the case relatively soundly in this, that maybe Jennifer Jason Lee as the embodiment of this corporation has her eyes set on Tasia, not only as partner in crime, but let me emphasize just partner. It is semi, this is not a word, but semi lesbianic and a strange science fictiony shared consciousness way. That's good. You wake up, next to somebody and look left and look right. And you're looking at each other and you're like, I mean, it just is dripping with sexuality and like what this film hasn't been. Come on. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole other layer too. It's I'm going interest- to further it with one more point. When Jennifer Jason Lee tells Tasia, I, I wish I knew Jennifer Jason Lee's character's name in this. I could look it up, but I'm going to be lazy. It's something like Dexter or something. <laughs> she tells her early on and you played the sound. You and your husband are separate. You and Michael are separated. hmm We're not going to have to go through this again, are we? Mm -hmm. I thought we've already Mm -hmm. established this. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, good job, Brandon Cronenberg. I don't want Possessor (laughs) two. No, me either. (laughs) Yeah, like I think I this was plenty. I saw, yeah, I saw it. I I
1: I got got all of it, uh, you know, encapsulated. But yeah, this is just it's just such an interesting movie. I didn't think we were going to have this level of conversation about it. But two weeks in a row, huh? It's what I. Three weeks in a row, Three, yeah. we were rabid. We were in that same space as well, talking about like we didn't think like we were gonna get there, but we did. Uh I think that's what I just love about this genre and maybe just from this genealogy family of filmmakers that they've tapped into something that is entirely thought provoking to me on a film level. Uh this is the heady space I love horror and science fiction films to be in. And they know when to pull back where they don't turn me off. Yeah, exactly. Well said. What is uh, your favorite tasting note of
0: Possessor? I actually think it is, <laughs> in a not basic instinct sort of way, mm-hmm. <laughs> the sex scene between Colin and Ava. Mm. It's really horrifying, and we had a conversation about this too. Um, we're not getting out, li- or, or we're not getting in late and getting out early in that scene. Mm-hmm. We're going to spend the entire portion of it in yeah. there. And we had discussion about ways to manipulate the body on set so that that oh, doesn't how, actually occur. How they film sex scenes? Yeah, it's, and, act, it's it's so unromantic because and uncomfortable, maybe in some ways too. Absolutely. But that it's just really well done, and it's loaded with color, and it, it that in this movie, that's mm-hmm. what sticks out the most. The violence is close that the way that he murders Colin murders. Sean Bean and Ava is that close, but that might be the Oh God moment.
1: Isn't it weird that like, you know, we've talked a lot about on these last, you know, we're weird in like, you know, the, the States here, we're weird about male nudity on screen and we're weird about sex scenes on screen. But like, like at the end of the day, I kind of don't know why. I mean, like it's, 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 it's a process of life. You know what I mean? And like,
0: just your body.
1: And like, there's always like, I know when it happens, like you go see a movie with like your friends and the sex scene comes up and there's like a twinge of uncomfortableness and, I just, I wonder why sometimes, you know what I mean? Um, It's like we're almost ashamed of that, which I don't know, speak at the Freudian level of that too, you know what I mean? Right. But um, you're right, it's very well done. Oh God, what am I going to pick? I am going to pick actually, It's I played the sound clip of it and it just speaks to what I like about Hetty's science fiction space. It's her repeating the pantameter and the vocabulary of how she interacts with the family life. I mean, there's steps you have to get to to ground yourself the totems and then this because she's done it so much that she's losing control of that part of her life and I thought that was fascinating that she has to go through this kind of exercise to hi darling hi darling hi, dar- hi darling hi darling like is it too high is it too low is it too uh exuberant is it too played back I like that scene and it's it speaks to her character but it also speaks to the job that I think is fascinating.
0: The philosophy of the uncanny is something that works terrifically well in film. Mm-hmm. What's more horrifying is the complete lack of recognition of the uncanny in the same space which is what she's going through. Mm-hmm. Trying to get the return of the repressed without remembering how to do it is horrifying. Doesn't make this a horror film but that's a horrifying moment. I love your choice. Good job. What is the...
2: Oh my God!
1: I got to pick Sean Bean's death. It's one of the most graphic, brutal deaths. Not even death because he doesn't die. Ugh. How? Assault scenes I've ever seen on film. The, the moment you audibly gasped, oh my God, when he sticks the fire poker in his mouth.
0: and It's not we, even the worst penetration.
1: Yeah. And then we we went again because he pops the eye out and then he goes back again. And maybe this is the part that gets me is, and he like drags like two or three teeth out onto the floor. Mm-hmm. How you didn't die. Oh, my gosh. I would pray for death. (laughs) Same for me. Yeah. And to Sean Bean, maybe to Sean Bean's credit, because he's always dying on screen, he didn't die in this film, so that's different, at least to him.
0: (laughs) You know, we talked a little about the idea of the title of this film, Possessor, and then Mm. I ventured that maybe Tasia kills Ava's best friend that Colin's about to have the affair with because she's jealous. The secondary or the honorable mention to the Oh, My God moment is right before Ava is assassinated, because mine's the same as yours. Mm-hmm. Like, that poker in the eye is rough. The teeth is rough. That whole bit's rough. But the fact that before Ava is finished off, Tassia as Colin leans down and moves the hair back from Tos- from Ava's face to get one last admirational yeah, look. What, what's that all about? Yeah. This is my territory. Mm-hmm. I've staked it out. Find your own or don't. Bang. It's such an awful way to go. One final bit of compassion before you're shot in the back of the head. So brutal. Tasia's wicked, isn't she? Yeah. Almost villain too.
1: For sure. Protag and villain. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Who's the master
0: distiller on possessor? Yeah. This is a no brainer. Go ahead. It's you go ahead. It's Brandon Cronenberg. It has to be from writing and directing. It's this is a slam dunk for him.
1: This is yeah. It's interesting because like like I said, I never knew like Cronenberg had a son. He was making movies and he had one come out in twenty twenty that people were talking about. How far into his filmography is this? Do you I, know? I feel like he's made a couple movies before this, so I've actually missed out on some stuff that I might need to go back and check out.
0: He's close. He's not Ari Aster close, but he's close to being Ari Aster to be Ari Aster close. Do you I, know what I mean? Like oh yeah, he's close, man. Yeah. This is really close. Are you
1: interested in what he does going forward?
0: Yes. Yeah. We'll How keep, can you not be? We'll keep an eye on him. Right.
1: I'll give it to, to the two leads, uh, Andrea Riseborough and Christopher Abbott, because to have to play monotone yet exuberant and then loud and then soft and then lethargic sounds easy, but I bet it's incredibly hard. Uh, those are two really great performances, and they essentially have to be in and out of each other's personality and consciousness. I think they're two really great acting performances that you get to see. Uh, And they both kind of shift roles. I mean, we shift from protagonist to antagonist and kind of back and forth. So that's an interesting crux for me, too.
0: The two supports are good, too, right? Mm -hmm. With Jennifer Jason Leigh and Sean Bean? Oh, absolutely. Capable support all around this really well-acted film. Mm -hmm. Even Ava, and I've seen her in stuff. I don't remember her name, but she's been in plenty of things, too. How are you going to rate and grade Possessor? It is... Let me think for a minute before I say what I'm about to say here. Mm -hmm. I don't get too hot Mm takey and then walk it back in five seconds when my brain's had a chance to process. (laughs) Okay, so it's one of... Bit of a parachute when I say one of. Yeah, go ahead. It's one of the most unique films I've ever seen. Certainly in the last year calendar-wise. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Now there's been... (laughs) Some not a good sample size. Yeah, well, yeah, limited selection and a lot of classic stuff because, right, the film industry right now. Mm-hmm. But still, that being said, if you just take the five films and the characters that I mentioned, or the four um, Vanilla Sky, Serenity, Inception, all those, right? Yeah, this is not an un- unfamiliar space. Mm-hmm. He found a really interesting and unique angle to do it. So I'm lending myself towards single barrel, except this is so expertly done. I'm shockingly, which prior to the viewing of the trailer, didn't think I would get here for the second week in a row. I'm giving this a top shelf rating. Nice. I don't know if I'm going to rush back and watch this again. Yeah. I might want to rewatch this again with someone that hasn't seen it just to see their reaction Mm -hmm. and have the discussion that you and I had. Yeah. But this is a really, really strong, Mm -hmm. good science fiction film that, the best case I can make for it is it's heady, but not off-putting. Mm. And that's a trick for me. It's just a personal thing like we talked about. <clears throat> yeah, top shelf, man. This is a really, really good film. Awesome. What about you? Yeah, before, like I said
1: before this, I probably would have kind of come in here with like maybe just like a call. Call, yeah. Just kind of middle of the road. But that's kind of what I thought too. Coming back to it a second time and I I watched it again. So to to record the sound and then I watched it again with you. So I think I'm three viewings in here and like, I picked up like there's even a scene we didn't even talk because it's just so meaningless, but just like we talk about setups and payoffs a lot. I mean, when Tasia goes back to the first time back to Michael's house, we see her eating an apple and kind of cutting it. And I, it's kind of weird people cutting and just bite into it. Yeah. And that's her action when she's first implanted in Colin's body and, Ava's like, you're acting kind of weird. That's like a throwaway moment, but kind of not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We've established something that she's comfortable doing, cutting an apple in this particular fashion. Uh, so I picked up on a lot of the nuances and then just the heady space that it's in, but like I said, not off-putting, thought-provoking. And that's, what I think, where good science fiction lies. I'm single barrel all the way. This is a unique film from a director that I didn't know was making films. And like you, Matt, I am very anxious to see, man, what is this? what does Brandon have in the the canon coming up next because you picked up on some traits from dad, the nudity and the violence for sure. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of crafted his own space outside of what dad's really good at too. So I'm very
0: anxious to see what he does going forward. If you compare this to Rabbit, which is a similar state in each one of their careers, mm-hmm. boy, I think Brandon's maybe a little bit ahead of dad, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, you can be a lot ahead when maybe the Canadian film government isn't funding your film production. <laughs> okay, fair. The Canadian government probably would have shut this movie down. Yeah. But to that, that's that's great. I was, I was very excited. To, I was excited. I don't want to say nervous. Like, I'm not nervous to show you movies because react however you want. But right. I always try and get in your head and I'm like, man, what's Matt going to think about this movie? Because, like, I, I know him and he'll ying and yang. And then, like, sometimes, like, when I think you'll ying, you'll go the other way. But like in this one, like I, I could see you, I, like I looked peripherally, my peripherals are on active fronts and you were, you were doing a good active head nod, which means like you're like responsive to like the process. That's just the evidence of a good story. That's great. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this You weirdo, this. stop watching me watch the movie. Stop. I'm voyeuristic like <laughs> they are in this movie, Yeah. but let's wrap this up with a nightcap. It's a, it's, a, it's a mellow score, but then atmospheric and visceral when it needs to be. So, talking about Brandon Cronenberg, the nepotism that sometimes works in the Hollywood space—the son of David Cronenberg—I just want to talk about too, because like when I first broached the subject of uh, Cronenberg cast with you, I don't want to say you were lukewarm on it, but that you were—you were, mm-hmm. were kind of like, yeah, that sounds good, but like, okay. I think you've had a pretty good time with these three films. Like, yeah. I think in a way that even you didn't really expect. Yes. And that's what I love about doing this show is we find ways to like I'll, like I'll never forget like this is like this
0: is like a, a Walk Down Nostalgia Lane.
1: A Walk Down Nostalgia <laughs> Lane of Bryce Smile Films. But when we did Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 Freddy's Revenge, you came in, we didn't watch that together, but you came in and was like I got to tell you. I was like I thought this movie was terrible. And after the show, you're like, I didn't think we would be able to go longer than like 40 minutes talking about that movie. And th- th- I think it, we went like an hour and 40 on that one. And that's just through conversation, you end up like, yeah, you're right. You, you bring up an aspect and it like we go down a path and like, there's interesting things to talk about. And this is what I love about this show. It's like, it,
0: it you don't expect it to happen. And then it happens. We had a conversation off mic this week about the fly in those exact same space for everybody mm-hmm. we had a couple We do speak not just on mic. We speak plenty off mic too. Mm -hmm. And the fly came up and a gleeful acknowledgement of where that got and how we got to where we got to. It's happening a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been lucky with the film selections, I think, haven't we? And I mean, the material helps. Absolutely. You can can put lipstick on a pig, but (laughs) when it's a really pretty pig, it's funner to talk about. Funner, like that word funner. Yeah, man. Um, Again, you're right. I was pretty lukewarm on all the Cronenberg stuff, and by the time we're done, uh, maybe it's time for a reassessment of that director and my film legacy. Can
1: I ask you this? Would you be willing to dive back into him? Because we
0: left a ton on the table. We have to do Scanners now. Yeah. That's, to me, always been the most... I hadn't seen Rabbit, but that's the most off-putting viscerally of any of the Cronenberg films. But I want to do Dead Ringers, too. What about Crash? Okay, um, boy, we've got talk about some stories around Oscar stuff. Let's do that. as what well. What about Videodrome? So I'd rather. Okay, I think I'm probably ahead of Crash than more wanting to do Crash than Videodrome. But if we did Crash, Dead Ringers, and Scanners, because we also have to do History of Violence for personal reasons. Gosh, <laughs> that's like, and then find one more, and we'd have three casks of Cronenberg. Is he a three timer He passes Verhoeven in that regard. But okay. he makes it in every show a couple times. Basic instinct got mentioned and now directly believe- and total recall. Yep. My God. I want to meet Paul Verhoeven now. We need to get a bust made of Paul Verhoeven <laughs> and put it right here next to the control board. Just so we have homage to the guy that is <laughs> recently such an influence in this podcast. Just speaking Dutch to us. <laughs>
1: okay. So the, the nightcap talking about nepotism in Hollywood. I mean, finding out that he was the son of David was a great surprise to me, but like, our nightcap this week is what are the top three films from the progeny of directors
0: celebrating nepotism? Yeah. <laughs> the only time we'll do it. Okay. Uh, number three for me, Nick Cassavetes and alpha dog. I think that's a really underrated good film. choice. Yeah. I've uh, tough to watch. Mm-hmm. Justin Timberlake's fantastic. I'll admit I'm a huge Justin Timberlake oh, fan. No, yeah, of all versions of his life. I think mm-hmm. the guy's wildly talented.
1: You in sync fan you. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> Bye bye bye. Yeah. Uh Nick Cassavetes is an alpha dog number three oh, for me. Man, I haven't thought about that movie in a long
1: time. That good choice. Thanks. Okay, we talked about this also off mic. I'm gonna go here just because the space allows me to go here. Uh-oh. We talked about Sophia Coppola. And I can never forgive Sophia Coppola for Godfather Part Three. And then I told you this horrific story on how Marie Antoinette physically made me ill in your class. And I I <laughs> I got so sick in school. And I think I had, like, the flu or a cold. But, man, Marie Antoinette is maybe the only movie that's made me physically ill. So there's something to that. But I do have to say, my number three, I got to go lost in translation. I know we've talked a lot about Bill Murray and kind of the weird character he is. But that's Bill Murray at his most, like, restrained. And that's the film that arguably made Scarlett Johansson, you know, what she is now. And there's just something to an interesting companion film those two never get together in that it's, it reminds me of Harold and Maude but they I was just to say Harold and Maude but yep. they do get together in that movie which is even weirder but it's just them kind of hanging out and finding a friendship when they're just so estranged in their own personal lives and I think the backdrop of I think it's Tokyo is interesting to me it's the only time I've been on board with Sofia Coppola and I, I love the ambiguous ending I love their performances and it's a film I won't watch it all the time but it's a film I do enjoy
0: I'm not actually surprised that you chose that. I'm a little surprised that Sofia Coppola made the list. Mm-hmm. We have had a tendency to talk about what are not standard relationships or bromances on film. That's a bad way to say it. No, like no, Buddy no, movies. Yeah. From Bad Words to Lost in Translation mm-hmm. to Perfect World to Harold and Maude just now. There's a lot of of really interesting material when you put two unlikely friends together and watch them go, which just put a bug into my ear on how we can finally get Don John on the show. Okay. But off mic, we'll talk about that. Sure. Good. I like it. Number two, this person almost was disqualified for the list for some of the latter entries, which I'll get to, but is going to make it. And it's Rob Reiner for stand by me, but he almost gets kicked off the list for two films. First and foremost, Rumor has it is one of the most atrocious films of all time. Oh yeah, and I think when Harry Met Sally also sucks, but Stand By Me doesn't, so that makes it at number two for me.
1: It's interesting; he's
0: also my number two. <laughs> Pretty big filmography. There.
1: I don't think it, when Harry Met Sally sucks. There's there's a certain charm that that film has to me, and just the kind of the what if capabilities that two friends can operate in in a interesting relation space, but. uh There's an argument to be made. You told me something really interesting about you know one of your students listening to the Sorcerer episode and talking about Friedkin and French Connection, Exorcist and Sorcerer, and what a great run that he had. You could make an argument. I mean, if outside of when Harry met Sally, this is Spinal Tap, Princess Bride, when Harry, oh Stand by Me, when Harry met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. That's almost six films. It's a
0: good, f- it's a good run.
1: Killing it, like like what director is like just that on the one? I won't pick Spinal Tap because like I've talked about that film a lot. I'm actually gonna pick Misery in this regard. Yeah, Stephen King has gone on record saying that's the scariest movie he think has been made of his material. Mm. So. Great performances. I could pick any of those movies, honestly. Like Rob Reiner is so interesting to me, and I love when he shows up in acting roles. He has a little supporting part in The Wolf of Wall Street as uh, DiCaprio's father, and he's hilarious. I love love Rob Reiner,
0: son of Carl Reiner. As much as Meathead pisses me off in a lot of pieces of his life, there's Mm -hmm. a couple of films that you just mentioned that I have to give him credit for. I'd Mm -hmm. love to have the talk someday about Spinal Tap Mm -hmm. because I would argue, and not to be too hot takey here, Mm That movie is more about the talent of Christopher Guest than it is Rob Reiner. That'd be a fun conversation to have, but not today. I think that's
1: fair. I mean, most of that film is entirely improvised. Yeah. They got some good talent improvising in that film. Who's your number
0: one? It's kind of come from the Reitman clan. Okay. Do you know what it is? Yes. Up in the air? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. easy. Good choice. I love that film. Top 20 of all time for me. Oh, good. My favorite Clooney role. Really? Love it. Love that film. Well, we talked
1: a lot about it on this show.
0: I mean, you and I really like a space where... And I love Solaris. That's a big statement that I just said.
1: Ides of March. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of Clooney films we like mm-hmm. about interesting employment roles. And yep. I think his job is interesting. I mean, he's essentially the fireer of big corporations people. So the corporations don't want to fire their people. They hire a third-party contract... And Clooney comes in and fires them. Like, that's interesting. (laughs) And then it's a weird, like, uh, apprenticeship role that he takes on with Anna Anna Kendrick's character.
0: The Vera Farmiga role is great. Uh, Yeah, it's a good—I'd love—we should do that film because a lot of people haven't seen it. No,
1: I would love to do that. Yeah, Jason Reitman, I mean, you know, following—you know, Dad went the more supernatural and, like, comedic route with his films— but he's carved out an interesting space for himself as well. Good choice. Thank you. Okay, let's hear your number one. Okay, I gotta, I gotta look this up real quick because <laughs> I don't remember the name of dad. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow, you really did dig deep. Okay, so when looking at film history, I mean, you know, the, just to me, the advent of film with, with Thomas Edison and silent film is entirely fascinating to me. And when I say silent film, the first thing you probably think about is Charlie uh, Chaplin, Buster Keaton, c- comedy. But, like, people all over the world were doing interesting things. I mean, the Germans are doing German Expressionism and Metropolis and, you know, Nosferatu. I mean, the Italians were also doing their own thing to help get their film program off the ground. One of those people was named Roberto Robiarti. I could give you 10 guesses. You probably wouldn't guess what his son is. But he was important in getting the Italian film program off the ground, which is, you know— we couldn't just rely on what we were doing here in the States with the Hollywood system. Other countries were figuring out how they wanted film to look and feel and do their own thing. His progeny is arguably made some of the best movies ever made of man by the name of Sergio Leone. Wow. And the film I'm going to pick today is once upon a time in the West. Love it. Uh, I could have went good, bad and the ugly. I could have went once upon a time in America, but once upon a time in the West is a truly unique Western film, uber violent and a career performance from, Henry Fonda. Uh, that's my choice. That was a deep, like you said, this was kind of, this was a little hard to find, you know, c- cause kind of, why do you want to follow in your parents' footsteps? You kind of want to carve your own path, but when you're so invested in film, I see why the, all our entries went that way. Uh, so that was an interesting path to get to Leone, but it kind of led me down like film creation and the silent era and Italian film system to get to him,
0: which was really cool. I think if you are the progeny of an Italian filmmaker, you have found an instant fan in Jesse. Mm -hmm. Two of the three. That's a good choice, man. Good job. That's a deep dive. Yeah. I'm surprised a little bit that that's your favorite Sergio Leone film. I didn't know that. I love that movie too, but that's... It's that one or good
1: and bad, the ugly. I mean, they're close. I mean, they're both expertly. And those are entirely different Westerns than what we were doing over here around that same time. I mean, Sam Peckinpah was drinking Old Forester 1920 (laughs) and just killing people by the wayside and doing crazy like hot tub scenes with with, with people. And Sergio Sergio Leone was doing, you know, the same type of violence in Moody Westerns. Exactly. You're I mean, right. it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's very fascinating to me. Charles Bronson's really good in that movie oh, as well. Yeah. Claudia Cardinal. who mm-hmm. can for oh my god, uh, uh, to, yeah. God bless Claudia. Yeah, I know Claudia we've Cardinal. been talking about a western cast at some point. I mean, like where would we even start? Because the Leone stuff, Warren's talking about. We have to touch on John Ford, obviously, and the stuff with John Wayne. We have to do Peck and Pa. And there's just so much stuff in the middle there that's also good, like Three Ten to Yuma, the remake, not the original. Yeah. Uh, you know, even stuff like. Uh, You know, Bud Bedeker westerns with Randolph Scott. I mean, there's so many.
0: You know, it'd be fun to do with that is give like six selections and let Ryan Nation vote on the three that we would do.
1: That would be pretty interesting. That would be fun. I actually saw an interesting video last night when I was going to bed on it was it was WTF happened to this movie on Joe Blow videos on the making of Tombstone. Oh, which I had no recollection of. The director got fired about two months in because (laughs) he was incompetent. They hired George Peace Cosmatos to come in, who had directed Rambo First Blood Part Two and Cobra to just supervise. Kurt Russell essentially directed good. the rest of that movie. Wow. And and then Kevin Costner was making his own Wyatt Earp at the same – there was like a weird rivalry between them, and then Bull Durham was wrapped up into that as well. It was a good movie. It, worked it was out. good, a good I, film. I think Tombstone's film's great. Me but too. Excellent. Matt, this has been a lot of fun talking about Cronenberg and – Our future plans and talking about possessor and you know everything about this. So March is going to be a a fun month for for you and I, both in new space, but then also in the new cast we're going to get into coming up in March. And we're returning to some familiar territory, much to the chagrin of Matt and myself. But there's some big stuff coming up. I think on March 18th, we're on HBO Max. We're finally getting. Whether we care or not, uh, the Zack Snyder iteration of what Justice League was supposed to be, and it's in like a four-hour format. So, like, like we're gonna build up to that. But uh, before, we're gonna spend some time with uh, some DC films. And Matt, we're gonna cover a film next week that is easily in my bottom ten worst films I've ever seen in my entire life: Suicide Squad. I can't believe we're doing this. And we teased it out at the beginning of the episode when we did DC Gut about a year ago uh, with Batman and Robin and BVS, we did peanut butter whiskey and grape soda. And we made our own PB and J drink in our mouth. Yeah. I guess we're going to do the same thing again, because we love you the fans and you can watch us suffer on air, but we're going to mix it up with some strawberry esque soda, maybe Fanta or orange crush <laughs> strawberry version. Right. And that's what you have coming to you next week. Matt, I'm going to try and go into this movie with an open mind. Okay. It's going to be nearly impossible for me, though, because I'm going to be irate at how great the marketing was for this film and the end result product that is just,
0: it's it's bad. This is a bad movie. Maybe Margot Robbie can save it for you.
1: Yeah. No, no, and she's good. She might be the master distiller, mm-hmm. but you might hear a fiery passion Jesse that you don't hear often. Not since maybe Terminator dark fate, because I like the potential, but they just, they, they fail in every aspect. So you're going to get a terrible drink with the terrible film. Yeah. Mm boy, where do I win? Buckle up. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, like we said, March is going to be wild and we'll spend some time in some DC space to lead up to that. And then HBO max, they've been the savior for us in terms of new content. So we got another big film at the end of March, with a certain large reptilian and a large primate that we will also go into. So I'm just excited to kind of get into all of this, the Patreon stuff, DC, uh, T public, T public Falcon and winter soldier. I mean, we've got so much fun stuff to play around with in
0: March. We're going to have a good time, but cheers. Oh, we recommended a lot. Yeah. Cheers. We recommended this film to the people. I think what service did you get it on so they can find it? Where is it streaming currently? Possessor? Yeah, Possessor. Uh, it's on Hulu right now. Okay, Hulu's where you can I find I think it's
1: this. only on Hulu. So yeah, if you want to check it out, you're curious, yeah, but pull it up on Hulu and
0: have a good time. It was a good episode, wasn't it? I had a great time. Big day for Rice Smile, big week. Big month. <laughs> big month. Excellent. Well, cheers to you, Matt. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers.
1: Cheers. I got to go get in my implantation chair and I'm going to go live out the world where I can go and just indulge in a hundred buffalo wings <laughs> and I don't have to have the side effect of, you know, the... The intestinal problems that I'll have after that.
0: <laughs> that sounds excellent. Yeah, I like that idea. I'm not even going to try to outquip you on that because that is the price we pay with buffalo wings that are spicy. So I'm going to join you.
1: Awesome. Thank you all. We love you all. We're excited and we'll see you all next week.
0: Everybody, have a good week. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Podbean, stitcher tune in wherever you get your podcasts and please leave us a rating and a review while you're there and for rye smile films merchandise go to tpublic.com and please subscribe to our patreon account at patreon.com slash rye possessor is property of elevation pictures and signature entertainment and no copyright infringement is intended until next time Cheers
2: Pull me out